Maybe you've been like me in the past week, you know, as we come to our time of prayer and uh, you've just had a lot of stuff on your mind. And, uh, you know, as we pray this morning, um, as a congregation, uh, I want to read for you a verse that the Lord really impressed upon me earlier in the week. It's just kind of rattled around in my head all week. I've prayed this to the Lord, but listen to this. It comes from Psalm 55, verse 22, says this, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Listen to that verse again. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. What a verse by David in Psalm 55. Let's pray together and uh, let's spend some time uh, talking to the Lord, listening to the Lord. And uh, if you want to come forward, you can come forward as well or you can kneel where you're sitting or sit where you're sitting as well. But, uh, but let's pray together. God, it's been good to be together here on the front end of this year. It's been good to be together with each other, but Lord, more importantly, it's been good to be in your presence. We know that you're with us every day, Lord. We know that you never abandon us as individuals, but we also know that, Lord, when we corporately come together collectively, Lord, there is something supernatural that happens where we know that we are in the presence of a holy God, where we know that we're in the presence of a God who knows us, who sees us, who's known us before we were ever born, who saw the very beginning of creation and will see the very end of the world as we know it. There is something supernatural, Lord, that when we come together, we know we've been in your presence. And we thank you this morning for the promise of your power that's been on display, that is on display in the presence of your Holy Spirit that lives in us and is working through us right now. And we are humbled, Lord, to realize and understand that we pray to the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the God of our earth, the God who brought each of us into this world. None of us, Lord, are without value for you saw us in our mother's womb. You formed us in our mother's womb. And every one of us are unique. And we have intrinsic value with you, Lord, because you made us, you created us in, in your image and you created us, Lord, to worship you, to know you, to have a personal relationship with you. And we love you for that. And yet, Lord, we look around our world today and we look deep inside of our hearts and we see that we fall short of your glory. We fall short of, God, what you expected us to be and who you expected us to be. But you knew that. Before we were ever born, you knew that we would sin, that we would be broken, that we would experience brokenness and sin in our lives, that we would carry burdens, that we would carry the stress and the struggle of walking through this world and living through this world, Lord, sometimes without answers being, or questions being answered. And yet, Lord, you chose to, to put a plan in place to rescue us before we were ever born. And you sent your son Jesus into the world so that, Lord, when we were babies and we were crying and when we were toddlers and we grew to a place where we understood who you were and what you did for us and why we are the way we are, Lord, you loved us from the very moment of conception 
to the moment in which we understood who you were. You loved us enough to share with us the good news of your son, Jesus. That, Lord, this world, this life does not some point, a life that is, is, uh, is lived on its own. But it is a life that, Lord, finds its true value and love through Christ. We're here, Lord, to worship you. On the front end of this year, we're here to worship you. We're here to, Lord, pray to you and talk to you because we need your power in our lives. We need your presence in our life. We need you to manifest your work in our life. Take your word, Lord, and, and, and pour it into us and, and enable us, Lord, to be more righteous in the way that we think and righteous in the way that we live and how we react to certain things in our world today. God, give us the courage that we need to live this life that you've called us to live. We carry burdens in this room, Lord. We need your presence in our life, Lord, to carry those burdens for us. For Lord Jesus, you told us that your, your yoke is light. You carry our burdens. We turn those things over to you, those questions that we don't have answers for, those things that we struggle with, we turn them over to you. You promised to take them. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon us, that your Holy Spirit, your anointing would be upon us here at Central. Be upon us even now. Be upon our marriages. Be upon our families. We need you, Lord. The culture around us, our own hearts betray us. The culture around us, Lord, is continuing to pull us away from you. But it's you. You're our first love. You're the one that we want to follow this year. You're the one that we want to look back upon 2023 and say at the end of this year, we've grown closer to you. We've become more like Christ in these 12 months, God. You are worthy of our worship, our time, our obedience. You're worthy, Lord, of everything you've given to us as stewards. And so we thank you for this time. We've been singing praises to you. We've sung great hymns of the faith declaring, Lord, our, our obedience and our allegiance and our faith in you. Lord, we believe in you. You have worked in the past. You're working even now. You're working in the future. And so we trust you. And we give you this time, Lord. We pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to your word. And give us the courage to follow you. Give us the courage to say yes to you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. It is good to be with you in 2023. If you weren't here last Sunday, I did say new, Happy New Year, but I'll say Happy New Year to many of you. But some of you were traveling and you weren't with us on uh, Sunday morning. That's okay. Listen, this morning we're going to move back into our series in Joshua. You see that there, Faithful God, Courageous Living. And we worked through many Sundays throughout the, uh, uh, the fall. And we're going to pick back up with Joshua chapter 4 this morning. And I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 4 this morning. And we're going to jump right in. Great singing this morning. Love to hear you sing, love to hear uh, what God is, is doing in your, in your heart and your mind. When I look around, I see those faces. I see you singing, and that's a good thing. It's good to see uh, you worshiping the Lord in the way that he chooses to uh, want to be worshiped. You know, I had two grandfathers, and I was blessed to have good relationships with both men. Um, I think that um, 
what stands out to me, because they've both now since uh, passed away from this earth, um, that really stands out to me were the stories and the conversations I used to have. They had completely different perspectives about life. One of my grandfathers served in World War II. He was in the Army. He served in the South Pacific during World War II. And so his perspective was incredibly different. You know, he grew up in that quote-unquote greatest generation. And so I would sit with him and late into the night and uh, when we would go visit him in his latter years and I would talk to him about stories. You know, he... He, uh, uh, he would land in the Philippines and he diff- different islands where he would go up onto the beaches and he would uh, fight and so forth. And to hear his perspective on life was incredible. My other grandfather, though, because of medical conditions, couldn't serve in the military during that era. He was a shipbuilder. And so there in southeast Virginia, he worked in the Norfolk Naval Shipyard and he worked on many of the U.S. Naval ships. In fact, a few years ago, the first time we ever went to see the USS Battle Battleship Texas here when we moved to Texas many years ago. I'm walking around on the deck of the USS Texas and we're just touring it and so forth. And I look down and there's a plaque in the very bottom of, the, uh, of where the captain's quarters are where they used to dine. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It says, built in Newport News, Virginia, Newport News Shipbuilding. Now, it was built many, many years ago, right? But I I called my grandfather from the deck of the ship. He was at home at the time. And I said, hey, do you know anything about the USS Texas? And he goes, yes, I, used to, I worked on that ship. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I'm walking around on the deck, and he's telling me exactly the things that he did. He was, he was someone who built, or he, he put together canvas coverings and so forth, and he built that on the ship, and so he's walking me around. He had a completely perspective, different perspective of life. It was pretty remarkable to hear both of those two men talk. I think that's the, when it comes to our lives, listen, we have life experiences that shape our lives. We have life experiences that mark our lives. We have life experiences in certain things that sometimes happen early on in life that set us up and kind of put us on a trajectory of living our life a certain way. We have memories. We have life experiences. We have all these things that would come up in our life that tend to shape our lives in many ways. No matter how old you are, how young you are, no matter what your age is, No matter where you've been, God is, what I want to remind us of is God has been at work in your life, in different capacities, in different ways. Even when, listen, when you weren't even a follower of his, he was at work in your life. If you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and he did create you, by the way, even if you're not a Christian this morning, he did create you. You need to remember that. God was at work in your heart. He was at work in your life. He was at work around your life in many ways. Listen, God is at work in all of our lives, Christians, non-Christians, even here this morning. He's been and has revealed his nature to you. He has revealed his, um, who he is and how he interacts in your life and what he values and so forth. He has been revealing and has revealed all of these things in our life. And why has he done that? Why has he brought these things into your life? Why has he shown himself to you and I in, in different capacities? Well, he's done that because he wants to draw you into a personal relationship with him. He wants you to know who he is. He wants us to have this personal relationship with him. This is what he's done. This is why he's done what he's done. From the very beginning of when I was created in this earth until the very moment in which I go from this life into the next, into eternity, God has been showing himself so faithful, showing himself so uh, creatively in my life. Why? Because he wants me to know him. He wants me to have this personal relationship with him. Here's the problem. 
This is what I find oftentimes in my own heart when I'm struggling at times with my own relationship with him and how he shows himself in such powerful ways. This is the problem I find in my own heart. This is the problem I find in many people's lives is that oftentimes because of the things that happen to us in our life, experiences, circumstances, things like that, our focus begins to drift away from Christ and it begins to drift to ourselves, to certain things that happen, other things. I'll give you an example of this in the sense that he, God can come to you in a moment in your life when you're extremely lonely. Some of us in the room are lonely. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you don't have any close friends in your life. But when you get to places in your life where you're down, you get to a place where you're somewhat melancholy about life. You begin to think to yourself, you know, I'm really alone. God doesn't be. Then what begins to happen in your life is you, in your mind is you begin to think to yourself, you know, God doesn't love me anymore. God doesn't care about me anymore. God has left me alone. Then God begins to bring someone into your life. Or maybe in your past, God brought something great into your life that brought this relationship or did something big in your life in the past. But in that moment, in that space, in that kind of feeling down about your life, you grow kind of despondent towards God. He, he begins to demonstrate, it has demonstrated in your life, power. He's at times come into your life and demonstrated his presence in your life. He has been at work and in, in whether it's been in some capacity, in some supernatural way in your life, he's shown himself to be real to you. But in this moment, you begin to find yourself drifting, begin to find yourself doubting in that space, in that moment. Maybe it was just yesterday that you were on fire for following Jesus. And then the very next day you find yourself doubting struggling, discouraged. But when we live that way, listen, church, when we live that way, the result's always going to be that your spiritual life, your relationship with the Lord is going to grow, is going to become stunted. It's gonna go up and it's gonna go down. It's gonna stall out inevitably. And this is Satan's tactic in your life. This is how Satan is very good at deceiving you. And he, for, he allows you and enables you to forget the things that God has done, the great things that God has done in your life, even the small things of greatness that God has done in your life for the sake of the in the space, in the moment. He's really, really, really good at convincing you that God's not there. God's not at work. And so you grow worrisome, you grow anxious, you grow angry, you grow discouraged, you grow in all, all of these different capacities. Then all the while, God is at work in your life. The fact of the matter is, God knows the human heart a lot better than you and I do. So he knows you better than you know yourself. You know, why I know how I know that? Because he created it. So he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Now listen. We're going to move back into the book of Joshua here because this is all setting up understanding where we are in Joshua chapter 4. Weeks ago, we finished off in Joshua chapter 3, but understand that God's people here have had a pretty remarkable day. When we come into to Joshua chapter four, 4, understand that they have had a pretty remarkable day. God has moved him in powerful ways. They began on the other side of the Jordan River. They're about to go into the promised land. But on the other side of the Jordan River, God's people are staring at a river that is overflowing. It's at flood stage. Well, what's God done? 
God's parted the Jordan River just like he did for their other generation, generation one. This is generation two, first generation coming out of Egypt, and he splits the Red Sea for them. And here we are, generation two, about to go into the promised land, and what does he do? He splits open the, uh, the Jordan River. And it's been a big deal for them. You see, God moves, and understand that when God moves, when his people follow. Is what he tells them to do is he tells them not to get ahead of the Ark of the Covenant, but to follow the Ark, follow the priests. The priests are going to step into the Jordan River. As they step into the Jordan River, the water is going to, to, to wall up on upstream. And as the priests are standing in the Jordan River, there is the Ark of God, which is the what? It's the presence of God. It's not a box. This isn't wood. This is the presence of God. It's all there in order to communicate to his people that it is he who is in control. It is he that they are following. This isn't man-centered, this is God-centered. And they wanted, he wanted them to remember this picture of God standing or being in the midst of them and being the one who goes ahead of them, the one who goes before them. And so this is a remarkable day because at the beginning of the day, they start on the other side of the Jordan River and the river is overflowing and they're going to end their day on the other side of the Jordan River. This is a big deal and this is a big day for them. <clears throat> but God moves when his people follow. They needed his power. Listen, they needed his power. They needed his presence. But here's the thing that he wanted them to do. He, know, he knows and he needed them to exercise faith in obedience. That when they got up and followed God towards the direction God wanted, God showed up and he showed out. This is what he wanted them to see visually Audibly, he wanted them to never forget this day. And listen, that is the point that God shows us, showed us last time. In chapter 3, if you remember with chapter 3 that flows into chapter 4, this is what happens in chapter 3. The water split, the ark is there, the people of God are going to cross over. That was how the story began, but the story's not over because Joshua 3 flows into Joshua 4, which is where we are this morning. And so Joshua 4 is the continuation of what happens in Joshua 3. This was a life experience that was meant to last forever. It was meant to shape God's people. So look at the story with me in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua. Now let's just stop right there. What's happening here is that God had handed down a promise. And here he begins to move his people towards this first physical, big physical object, which is the river that's going to then lead to the cities and the people and the nations that they're going to, to overcome. But it began right here in the Jordan River. They need to remember the Jordan River before they ever went into the promised land. Sound familiar? God's people needed to remember what had happened in Egypt and then what happened at the Red Sea that would then lead them into this wilderness in generation one. The problem was in generation one, they couldn't get over Egypt. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt. And then they were scared and they were fearful. They didn't want to go into the promised land and God sent them back into the wilderness. But now, this is generation two. And in chapter 4, verse 1, we see that the whole nation crosses the Jordan. This is what God does first in the story. What God does is he tells them to prepare a memorial. He wants them to memorialize what is about to happen and what is happening. And so the whole nation crosses over in chapter 4, verse 1. Look at verse 2 and 3. Take, he says, God tells uh, Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, 
and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So the Lord commands Joshua, this isn't God's plan. This is, I mean, this isn't Joshua's plan. This is God's plan. Joshua's plan, or God's plan was to tell Joshua to tell, take 12 men, take a stone exactly where the priests were standing in the very midst of the riverbed, and then take them and build a pile or build a memorial of what is going to happen and what God is beginning to do. He wanted a monument built. They all participated They were to take a stone, they were to stake it where they camped that particular night. Simple enough, right? Why would they do that? Why would God tell them to do that? Well, let's look at the story. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Take up every, each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And this, that this, day, this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do, you, what do these stones mean to you? Look at verse 7. And then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan River were cut off by the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So what does God want his people to do? He wants them to memorialize what exactly has happened. This was the plan in verse 4 and 5. You see it in verse 6 and 7. This was was to be a testimony. It was to be simply a memorial to the next generation of what God had done. Every time that they looked at the stones, they remembered God. Every time they remembered the Jordan River, they remembered God. Every time life got difficult or hard in Canaan, Canaan, as they were beginning to bring about the conquest in Canaan, they would remember the stones, they would remember the Jordan River. God is with us, God was with us, he was with us beforehand, he sent us into the Canaan, he's going to be with us now, and he's going to be with us into the future. They were to teach that to their children. They were to drill that into the next generation. They were to pour that into them. And guess what happens? The people follow Joshua and they obey God. Look down at verse 9. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. God gave orders to prepare the memorial. The people then cross the Jordan River. They set up this memorial, but notice what happens next in the story. They cross, and the leader is exalted. Now watch what happens here, what God does in the life of Joshua. God takes Joshua and elevates him, exalts him in every way. So people cross over quickly in verse 10. Look at it. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. So they go over quickly. I mean, if you're looking at a wall of water, you're, you're going quickly, right? They're, they're passing across the Jordan River. They come over onto the other side of the Jordan River. 40,000 strong. It's going to tell us there in that story. 40,000 soldiers strong. They're obedient. They're yielded. They're full of faith. And they pass over quickly. It then tells us in verses 12 and 13, look at it. It says, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the Lord of Israel as Moses had told them. Remember that on the other side of the Jordan, they've already received their inheritance. Two and a half tribes. 
but they're fighting with their countrymen. They're fighting with God's people because they're all collectively unified as God's people. No one sits on the sidelines when we're going into Canaan, when we go into the promised land. We're all going together. We're all doing this together to be obedient to God. And so they're all going into the promised land together. And so the priests come out in verse 15, look at it. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come out of the Jordan. In verse 18, and when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came out from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the feet uh, were, were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed in its banks as before. Now look what happens back in verse 14 though. Because in the midst of all of this happening, in the midst of the priests coming out on dry land and the waters coming back into the Jordan River, watch what the Lord does. On verse 14, it says, On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And word exalted, literally, it just simply means he fulfilled a promise, by the way, back in chapter 3, verse 7. But here he exalts him or he revered, he, he, he created this revering and fearful mentality in the lives of the people. Not scared that, God, that Joshua's going to hurt them, but this respect. They begin to, God's the one who does this. This isn't, this isn't human worship or anything of that nature. God's the one who elevates him. When that word is used of God... It's used in light of the fact that he is holy, he's to, to fear, to revere, to stand in awe, to worship God. That is the kind of, uh, of position that God takes Joshua and puts him there. Why? Because Joshua has the ear of God, and now the people are going to follow Joshua. If they chose not to follow Joshua, they're choosing not to follow God. So Joshua becomes this new Moses, if you will. In Exodus chapter 14, we understand that this is what's going to happen. This was already foretold of what was going to happen. This wasn't for the sake of Joshua. This was the, for the sake of the Lord. Men, can I just say one thing to us as men, just as an aside? This is how we lead. We lead only because the Lord does and puts this kind of responsibility upon us. And the thing about it is this, when you and I as men, and I'm just talking to the men in this room and the future men in this room, but when you and I take the Lord serious in our life, when we take the word of God serious in our life, when we take our responsibility is to lead our families, to lead in our marriages, to lead in his church, to lead in different capacities, when we take that serious and we take seriously the desire to walk with God, you know what God does? He elevates you. He puts you in positions of leadership. He puts you in a position where your wife and your, or, or, or those in your family begin to look up to you. They begin to trust you that you're walking with him. Yeah, they know you're not perfect and no one's perfect. But when you begin to step out and follow God in your life, this is what the Lord does. He begins to exalt you. When you choose to live a righteous life, when you choose to follow the Lord as best you can, the Lord begins to exalt you. You see, Joshua received honor because the Lord exalted him. Joshua didn't point anyone's fingers at himself. It was the Lord who exalted him. And by the way, it is the Father in heaven later who is going to exalt the Son. 
You see, when Jesus Christ stepped onto this world, stepped onto this earth as a baby, and he became an adolescent, and then he became, of course, a teenager, and then he became a young man, and the Lord then it began to start his ministry. What the Lord did, what the Father in heaven did, is at their appointed time, he exalted his son. Don't miss what's happening here with Joshua and the parallel of what God does in the life of Jesus, his son. Because what the father does at the baptism of his son, you remember the story? When Jesus' ministry begins, John the Baptist, who is his foreshadowing, it has gone before Jesus, is baptizing people in a baptism of repentance from sin. Sees Jesus step over the hillside, and what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sin of the earth. And when Jesus comes down, steps into the Jordan River, that very river that we're talking about here, and then, he, and then John the Baptist takes him and puts him under the water and brings him up, the Father in heaven in that moment exalts his son. And then later, just a few years later, Jesus is going to be lifted up on a cross, and it is out of that that you and I can be healed from our sins. That is the only way that you and I can have a personal relationship with God, the Father in heaven, is through the Son in Jesus. He exalts Jesus in that moment. He exalts Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, and from the grave. And that's why we worship. That is why we sing living hope. That is why we sing uh, it is well with my soul. Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ has done the work from the cross and from the grave. It is the Father who lifts him up, and that is the only way that you and I can have this personal relationship with God. It is through Jesus Christ. We can have the promise of an abundant life now and the promise of an eternal life in heaven. And so they cross this Jordan River, and the Father, and God, the Lord, he elevates his leader, that they would look up to Joshua. God, God exalts Joshua, and finally here at the end of the story, look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, what happens? You see, what happens at the end of the story is they simply build the memorial. And we're going to talk about why in a moment. The people in verse 19 come out of the, came out of the Jordan. And on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Jordan, Joshua, set up at Gilgal. Now watch this. Look at the story. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come... What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. He's not done. Look at it. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth, listen, may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now listen, the timing is key. Verse 19, what does it say? It says the people came out of the Jordan River on the what? The 10th day, came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. You know when God's people came out of Egypt? On the 10th day of the first month. You got to understand that if you go all the way back to the book of, of Exodus and you see that God's people on the very day that God comes to Moses and says, tell them to paint the doorposts of their homes because I'm passing over tonight and I'm setting my people free. It's the 10th day of the first month. You see what God is doing here in verse 19. The timing is key as the Lord sets up the timing. 40 years 
That generation had wandered in the wilderness. Forty years they died off. Now this generation, four days here before the Passover, God is at work moving in the lives of his people. He is with his people. And they begin to build this memorial in verse 20, 21, 22, 23. Why? For the next generation. They were to memorialize the work of God for the next generation. Why? Because the result was clear. It had a worldwide impact. He says that what? All the peoples would know, number one. It also had a national impact that made the the fear of the Lord your God forever. May you fear the Lord your God forever. There was a national impact upon the people of God. There was a worldwide impact on everyone who would hear about what God did that day. Why go through the trouble of putting up 12 stones? Why go through the trouble of, of, of doing this kind of exercise God gives to his people? Because listen, y'all, the, the, the life experiences that God brings into your life, into the lives of the Israelites, shape us. They, they, they influence us. And therefore, the same God, the same point that God is making here to his people is the same God, the same point that God is making to you and I this morning. Listen, God shapes faith. God's work shapes faith. And therefore, remember, remember what God has done in your life. Remember what God is doing in your life. Remember what God did in your life as a young child, as a teenager. Remember when God remarkably moved in your marriage and brought about healing in your relationship. Remember when your life was put back together, when you were so dead in your sins, and then you met Christ for the first time, and he brought and flooded your heart with joy. He flooded your heart with peace. He gave you hope. He gave you new purpose in life. Remember those days, because God's work shapes faith. And then we need to remember that when it comes to that. You see, what does remembering the Lord's work in our life do? I want, to, I, want you to remind, I want to remind you this morning just a few things about remembering the work of God in your life. I think it's important to remember that remembering is corporate, but it's also personal. I mean, think about the story of what's happening here. People walked on dry land through the Jordan. It wasn't one person, it wasn't two people, it was what? All of them. So there was a sense in which it was corporate. There was a sense in which they were all doing this together. But Joshua also reminds them here that their parents had walked through the Red Sea. This is corporate. It's a story that they knew that God had made very, listen, personal to them. It's corporate but it's also personal. Remembering the work of God is, is corporate in the sense that we have all collectively done this. We're all doing this together, but it's also very personal. He reminded them of something that had happened in their parents' life. Your mom and your dad walked across the Red Sea. It made it very personal. God is at work in your life from the beginning, very beginning of your life. He has been at work in your life from the very beginning of your life. He has shaped you. He is shaping you. He's led you. He is leading you. He has worked in your life. He is working in your life. You see, for God, this is personal. He wants you to remember him. He wants you to remember his word. He wants you to remember not just what God has done in the Bible, but what he's done in the life of the person two or three seats away from you. He wants you to remember what he did in your marriage. He wants you to remember what he did in the life of someone you love dearly. He wants you to remember his work. 
It's corporate, but it's personal. I'll tell you something else about remembering the work of God. It, pro- it promotes faith in our life. I mean, remembering the work of God promotes faith in us. The focus in this story isn't on God's people. It isn't even necessarily on Joshua, but it is on God. You see, the presence of God is found in the ark. The power of God is seen visibly as an overflowing river is stopped and split apart. You think they would forget that day? They could see the wall of water upstream the Jordan River, in their sleep. On their hardest day, on their most difficult day, they could look at each other and say, remember the Jordan? Remember when God moved at the Jordan River? They could visibly see the presence of God in the midst of the Jordan River. There is the presence of God. After the Jordan River comes back, they could go back to that stone, that that clump of stones, and they could say, remember the presence and the power of God that moved? You see, I think you struggle in your life at times with faith because you forget the personal work of God in your life. And your eyes get off of the Jordan, your eyes get off of the clump of stones, and it begins to drift onto the immediate, immediacy of your struggle and of your problem. Or it is something from your deep, deep, long past that you just quite can't get over or can't, can't quite kick. And yet God has done all of this redeeming around that particular event, maybe 30 years ago in your life, maybe 10 years ago in your life, maybe it was last year, but you simply can't get past it because your eyes are on that and they're not on the things that God has done to redeem and to restore and to bring you away from that. You see, this is personal for God, but it promotes faith in the Lord when we begin to remember the things that he has done. And so we remind ourselves, and we need to remind ourselves that God is a covenant keeper. He loves us. He fulfills his promises in our life. He works through his people, and not everyone would see those stones, would they? Their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, maybe their great-great-great-grandchildren. You and I certainly can't see a clump of 12 stones alongside the Jordan River. There would be people who would not see those. There would be people, there would be children, there would be grandchildren, great, great, great grandchildren who would not see those. But they needed to be forever reminded that it was God who acted. It was God who cared. It was God who fulfilled. He is the Lord of all the earth. He splits the Red Sea. He splits the Jordan River. He can do anything in our lives if we'll just follow him and be obedient to him. Listen, remembering ensures that the next generation knows God. You know that we're only one generation removed from all of this being wiped out. You realize that, right? One generation. Your faith, all that you've experienced in your life, everything you've done in your life can be completely wiped out if it isn't showcased before the next generation. Young couples and young families, teenagers, children, not knowing and seeing what God has done. It can all go away if you don't pass that on, if you don't showcase the work of God. God knew that among his people because generation one failed, generation two's redeemed. Guess what's going to happen in generation three? Oh, they're going to be the ones who start following the false gods in Canaan. One generation removed. 
person to person, child to child. This is what God's will is in our lives. You go back to Deuteronomy. This was nothing, nothing new to God's people. In Deuteronomy chapter four, this is what he says. He says to his people, only take care, only take care. This is verse nine. And keep your soul diligently. Oh, the Lord knows our hearts so well. He told his people, he said, take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. This is what he says to him: Make them known to your children and your children's children. That's your grandchildren. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, The Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire, the heart of heaven wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord stood to you or spoke to you out of the midst of the fire and you heard the sounds of words, but saw no form, there was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which was commanded to you to perform, that is the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might, be, might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. He tells him there in verse nine in that very passage, he says, listen, pay attention to your priorities. They dictate your first love, be careful. Be careful, he says in verse 9. He says it twice. Where are the benchmarks of God's greatness? You need to pay attention to those things, and you need to keep those on the forefront of your mind, he says in verse 9. But then he says, make his work central to your home. Why? Because they need to know. Next generation needs to know. Why is it worth investing in the lives of young people, in the lives of young families? Why is, it, why, is it, why, why is it important to invest? Why is it important to pray? Why is it important to serve? Why is it important? Because, because they need to know. They need to know who the Lord is. You see, they need to know we don't look at a war, for a warrior God to defeat our enemies. Our hero won the victory already through self-giving and suffering. They need to know, listen, they need to know that help is not found in ourself because that's what the culture's telling them. Just look internally at yourself. You, it's all about you fixing yourself. No, they need to know that it's found in Christ, not in us. They need to know, listen, that God takes evil and so many of our young people today are following and are succumbing to and having to succumb to and be affected by evils in their home, evils in their lives. They need to know that God takes evil and he turns it to his glory. He turns it to good. They need to understand that, listen, God does this work. Just ask Josh, just ask Joseph in Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 50 tells us this, what a great story because at the end of that story you know what happens Joseph experiences betrayal he experiences deception he experiences all of these things in his life jealousy from his brothers and at the very end of the story after having gone through all that he went through in Genesis chapter 50 he says this to his brothers who bow down and say behold we are your servants he says don't fear for I am For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
to bring it about, bring about that my people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And this comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Where was God in the life of Joseph? Where was God when Potiphar's wife tried to bust a move on him, lied about him because he tried to be an honorable, righteous man and flee from the temptation when, he was, when his wife was trying to bust a move on this young guy? He runs out, but what he gets the short end of the stick, doesn't he? Thrown into prison, forgot about in prison, and what happens to him? Does God forget about him then? No, because it tells us in chapter 39, back then it says, for the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph. And it was during that season, during those many years, during those many months of Joshua, or Joseph rather, going through what he was going through, the Lord spoke clearly into the life of Joseph and began to well up and build up his faith in the Lord. When you're struggling in your marriage and the Lord redeems you from that, when you experience abuse in your past and your life, and God brings you out of that, when you bring and experience disappointment because of things not going the way that you want them to go, you need to be reminded of what God has done. The next generation needs to be reminded of how God has moved. Why? You need to remind yourself that God is at work in all of those things to refine us to become more like Christ. The Bible teaches us that suffering refines our character. I hate going through difficult things in my life. It's hard. I need to understand that I live in a broken world. There are things that are not under my control. People are going to sin against me. People are going to do things against me. But when God, when God takes evil, he takes everything that is evil and he turns it to good. And he redeems me through it. He refines my character. And by the way, he gives me empathy for others who have experienced that and gone through that in my life. Man, I think about Romans 8, 28. That's a really hard verse for someone who's been through a lot, been through very, very difficult days to declare or to read. Because you know the verse, don't you? It says, for I'm sure that, I'm sorry. Uh, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For someone who is young, who's experienced abuse or disappointment, or they've seen their mom and dad fight and divorce, and they don't even understand what a nuclear family is, they don't understand what a God's perfect picture of a family is, and then I come to a verse like that and I think, God works everything together for good. You see, the next generation, people need to understand that God's plans are perfect. But we don't live in a perfect world. But God takes evil and he turns it to good. Next generation needs to know that. It's why we invest 
It's why we pour our time. It's why we, we, we tell uh, those who are even younger, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, those around me who are younger than me, and I begin to pour into their life. Hey, listen, God is at work. God's at work in your life. God's at work ahead of your life. Like, stay focused, stay faithful, and follow Jesus with your life. You see, God's work shapes faith. So remember, remember what God has done. Because your spiritual growth depends upon it. The growth of others around you depends upon it. The passing on of your faith depends upon it. Stones are memorials. We go visit memorials and they're made of stone typically because they last for a long, long time. But I want you to remind you this morning that we don't go back to the Jordan River and we don't see hard stones any longer. Instead, I want you to look around you because what God says to you and me is that you and I are living stones. You and I are living testimonies. You and I are living testaments. You and I are living memorials of the work of the redemption and the power and the presence of God who steps into your life and redeems you and transforms your life. You are a living stone. Don't believe me? Well, listen to what it says in 1 Peter. Because it tells us over in 1 Peter chapter 2 this. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, Jesus, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look around yourself. You're a living stone if you follow Christ. You're a testament of God's work. He delivered God's people at the Red Sea. He delivers God's people here at the Jordan River as they move into the, uh, the, the, the promised land. And it all points ultimately to the deliverance at the cross. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to just take some time this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I just want you to think a moment about the work of Jesus Christ in your life. How has he worked in your life? How has he moved in your life? Maybe an exercise for you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ would be to go home today, get out a sheet of paper and begin to write down what I call the benchmarks of God's greatness. That was a benchmark in my life. He, he worked, moved right there. He, 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 he moved right there. I, I prayed a long time. He moved right there. And maybe you just need to get a piece of paper out and write those things down. Maybe you need to keep them in your Bible. Maybe you need to remind yourself of God's greatness and his work and his power. How he redeemed you from an addiction. How he took you out of a really, really low place in your life. And then give glory to God for that. Maybe it's been a long time since you thanked him for that. He hasn't forgotten he just wants you to thank him for it. Because you see, God's work leads to faith. And if you want to have greater faith in your life, in the Lord and what he wants to do and how he wants to move, well, you need to know further than your own heart, your own life, and the lives of people around you. Because he has moved. And he knows we're prone to forget. That's what Deuteronomy 4 was all about for God's people, amen. And he wants you to remember this morning. 
is we're on the front end of a new year. The front end of a new season in the life of our church. And you need to go back and you need to remember how he moved and how he wants to move again. You know, he's loved you from the moment that he brought you into the world. But maybe this morning for the first time, you need to tell him you love him and give your heart to him. You didn't bring yourself into this world. The Bible says that God is perfect. There's no sin in him. There's no brokenness, no deceit. Tells us that sin cannot be in his presence. Brokenness cannot be in his presence. He's that perfect. He's that pure. But the Bible also tells us that you and I are broken and sinners. We were brought into this world and we begin to sin. It's our nature. Long before you were born, he set in motion a plan to save you from yourself. So he responded to our problem by sending his son Jesus, who was perfect in every way, a sacrifice that was made for your sin and for my sin. So Jesus went to the cross, perfect. He died, he was buried, taking on the sin of your life onto his shoulders on the cross. But he didn't remain in the grave, he rose from the dead. And so he defeated sin and he defeated death. And all the Bible simply says to you and I is this, if I embrace that, turn away from my sin, turn away from my life and start following him wholeheartedly with my heart, he will come into your life and everything that Jesus did will then be applied to your life. And he'll begin to change you from the inside out. You can't change yourself. No class can change you. No person can change you. No amount of education can change you. You can't change your heart. Only God can change your heart. But he offers eternal life. He offers an abundant life. He offers forgiveness of sin if you'll turn to him. And so we're going to have a time of response. We're going to stand and sing a song together. And Lord, this, if, you, if the Lord has been speaking to your heart about just really just pledging your life, re, reaffirming that, wanting to come, you come, you can pray here at the front. And you come and I'll pray with you. If you want to come and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you come. If you want to be baptized, if you want to join our church, what is God speaking to you about? Is he calling you into ministry? Maybe he's calling you into another prairie of service in our church. Listen, respond to what God is saying to you. Be faithful, be obedient. Let me pray for us and then we'll stand and sing. Father, thank you this morning for this service, this time that we have with you. We pray for you to open our hearts to you and give us the courage to speak and to, you, to, to say yes to you, Lord, as you call us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.